awesome. Uh, yeah, thanks, Jonathan. I, <clears throat> you know, I don't, I don't know if John, I think, I believe Jonathan's excited, but I also think sometimes he likes to hype me up, which I really appreciate uh, in terms of I'm that. I, I'm excited too. Hey, I, <clears throat> I just feel like we should do this. Go ahead and touch your neighbor for me on the shoulder, just on the shoulder and say, hey, it's a powerful morning. It's a powerful morning, man. Hey, we're, today we're talking about being powerful people. And, you know, I was thinking last week many of us were at Lazy Tea Ranch, and that was a great time of coming together. And Jonathan brought, I thought, a really important word about how as a church we are, really should be coming together outside of these four walls and living, you know, directional, intentional, purpose-filled lives. And, uh, you know, just as I was thinking about what I was going to speak on today, I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's a really important thing. You know, he talked about uh, engaging emotionally, you know, being a church of small groups, not with small groups, being uh, hospitable, and just really just encouraging this idea of like, hey, as a church, our foundation and our goal should not just to be coming here on a Sunday, but like living life together. And so I was like, man, in order to do that, I really think we need to be powerful people. And so as I talk about this idea of being a powerful person, you know, um, uh, this might be familiar to some of you. Some of you may have heard this, this terminology before, this, this phrase, powerful people, uh, and some of you maybe haven't. But I want to be clear, this is not my idea. Uh, I'm not nearly skilled enough to think of something this important, but this guy named Danny Silk is. And so Danny Silk has a powerful ministry in uh, marriage counseling, premarital counseling. He's got great stuff in relationships in general. And he, te- he has two courses that we teach here in our network of churches, Defining the Relationship and Keep Your Love On. And actually, Kendall and I, uh, we lead a Defining the Relationship class right now at our house Sunday night. So if you're really impacted by this, uh, you can come <laughs> to our uh, DTR class tonight at 8. Um, but no, I, th- I just, you know, I think as, you know, Danny is teaching these courses, this idea of being a powerful por- person is in both. And so obviously it's, it's a somewhat important idea if he's doing that. And I think it's for two reasons. One, uh, Jesus was a powerful person, right? And if Jesus was a powerful person, then that should be our aim as well. But not only that, I think this is an important idea because we were made to be powerful people. You know, it's not just, it's not just a good goal to aim for, but it's something God has put inside of us. And so as, as you're hearing that phrase, you might be thinking, okay, is Brendan talking about a powerful person in terms of someone who's like laying on the hands of, and doing miracles, and, or is it something else? And actually, it's, it's much more practical than that. Really, the kind of power that I'm talking about is being powerful in your relationships, okay, being powerful in your decision-making, and being powerful just in, even in your language, right? It's, it's, a, it's very much in a practical sense, this, this idea of being Powerful, And so, um, you know, as a church and as Christians, we believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man when he lived on the earth. Okay. And, you know, you're probably like, yeah, I believe that, which is good. But it's important for us to remember, like, hey, Jesus lived a very purposeful life. He didn't just let life happen to him. Right. Things didn't just happen by chance or circumstance, but he was very much making powerful decisions, being a powerful person. And so, uh, uh, you know, just even as I'm saying that, hopefully in your mind, you're thinking of stories in the Bible that you remember Jesus acting powerfully in. Um, but, you know, as I look around at the, at the church today, not just our church, but just the church in general, the Big C Church, I, I'm thinking, hey, it's actually not as powerful as I would hope. The church is not as powerful as I would hope. And I, I, I would think that many of you probably feel that same way. That as we look into the world, there are a lot of problems, and we think, well, hey, those are the problems out there, but I'm in the church, and I'm going to stay over here. 
And so what happens is the culture has started to lead the way in areas of politics, entertainment, sexuality, education, and the church has said, hey, we can't really do anything about that. We're going to stay over here, and we act from a position of powerlessness. Okay? Uh, but this is what I know to be true. The, many times in the Bible, the, the church is referred to as Jesus' bride. And many of you know that Jesus is coming back for his bride. And I do not think that Jesus wants to come back to a powerless bride. I don't think that at all. I think that Jesus very much is looking forward to a bride who is leading the way in politics, who's leading the way in education, who is setting the culture of, of sexuality, who's setting the culture of, of entertainment. That, in fact, that actually we have a role to be very powerful on this earth. And you know, really that comes from this scripture out of 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, uh, God has not made us out of a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. All right, and that's just going to be our foundation for today, that idea that, hey, whatever spirit you're living out of, whether it's fear or something else, that's not the one that God is wanting you to live out of. But the one he does want you to live out of is spirit, uh, power, love, and self-control. Um, and so, you know, even in my own life, though, I, <clears throat> I can admit, hey, I'm not always the most powerful person, right? And so I don't want it to make it seem like I'm standing up here batting a thousand at this. That's not the case. But, you know, uh, just even in one area is my diet, right? So here's, here's the deal. If something takes more of my will or discipline than I'm wanting to give, then I often become very powerless, right? And that, that looks like in what I eat. And so, you know, uh, for most of my life, I have not been able to gain weight. And you would think that's a good thing. Uh, but I was an athlete in, in high school, and it was really important to me. I had, you know, college aspirations. And so it was, it was actually important that I would gain some weight. Uh, I was a string bean growing up, you know, just tall and lengthy, not a lot. Not a lot there. But two and a half years ago, that all changed, right? So for whatever reason, I hit my, my mid-20 mark, and all of a sudden, I wasn't digesting food the same, right? Before, it was calories in, calories out, not the same anymore. Um, but it's funny, because when I look back practically, like, at what I'm eating throughout the week, it's mostly like, hey, that was pretty good, and that was pretty good, but I ate, like, 10 chocolate chip cookies. Or, you know, hey, Kindle bought a package of Oreos, and I ate a whole sleeve, you know? It's like, okay, that seems to be the problem. Um, but you, you'll notice, if you're around me, I think my friends would, would attest to this, people who know me well in this room, these are the type of things that I say. Hey, when I'm, when I'm in the dining hall eating and I see Cinnamon Toast Crunch, I have to eat it. I have to eat it. Uh, or this, this simple phrase, man, sweets are my weakness. Or even this, uh, you know, she's not here, I was, I was thinking she would be, but Tori Brinson, if you know her, she makes the best chocolate chip cookies, and so if she makes them, I have to eat them. You know, I have to. Um, but just even that language, it's very powerless, right? So think about it. Who's making me eat the Cinnamon Toast Crunch, right? Nobody. Sweets are my weakness. Well, how are they my weakness? Do they have me in a submission hold? Like, am I going to have to tap out if I don't eat them? No, of course not. Like, it's just this idea, though, is like from an internal belief system. Like, hey, if, if I believe that sweets are my weakness, then they are. You know, and it's like, hey, that's, that's not really true. That's not, how, that's not the case, but, but so often, like, that's what I live out of. And in many ways, you probably have something that is causing you to live a powerless life as well. Um, but regardless of what your internal belief system is about something that might be causing you to live powerless, here's what's true. God does not believe that about you. But if we go to our scripture, 2 Timothy 1.7, and, and really believe that God gave you not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control, 
then I think that will really give us a paradigm shift in our minds that, hey, I can overcome this thing that's caused me to be powerless. And <clears throat> really just understanding that God has made us to be powerful. He's made us that way. It says in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, you know, the foundation of who we are as people. God said this, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Okay, you know this, but I'm going I'm to tell you anyways. If we're made in the image of God, you know, we're made to, to image Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and we can all agree that they were powerful, then I would assume in that image-bearing process, we are also able to be powerful. That not just able to, but made to. You know, that God, God, this is even a powerful statement. God said, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Man, he, he didn't make us to sit back and watch, but to have dominion, to be powerful. Uh, and so as, as I kind of move into these areas of application that I want to talk about, I'm just going to pray for our time. And this is why, you know, uh, as I'm kind of talking about three different areas that I think we can be powerful in, I don't want it to seem like, hey, these are hard and fast rules, that there's no exceptions, and that like, it seems almost arrogant, or they, I wouldn't consider maybe some other thing that would be preventing somebody. And that's not the case. But I do think in our lives there are areas that we can all identify that we are living very powerlessly in, that God wants us to live powerful in. Are you guys hearing that? So I'm just going to pray that we would receive that this morning, okay? God, I just thank you for this time to gather, to hear from you, to hear your word, Lord. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be present, that it would, that this wouldn't fall on deaf ears, but God, rather that there are things in our hearts that you're, you're, you're nudging, you're marking on right now, that we would be uh, powerful in, Lord, that we would change our heart, change our tune, and march, in, march in to the rhythm of the drum that you have us for, God. So just be here, be present, Lord. Let your words come to fruition. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we go. Here are three ways that you can be a powerful person. The first one is this, powerful in your relationships. Powerful in your relationships. So this is what Jesus says to his disciples in John 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Man, just in the scripture, I see a lot of powerful language, right? Jesus says that we're not his servants, but his friends. That whatever the master is doing, he also did, and we can also see that. Uh, that and maybe this is the most powerful, that we did not choose him, but he chose us. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And so really, uh, as I think about um, the way Jesus is portrayed in our culture today, he's portrayed as a person of love, which is true. And, and I, this is what I would agree with. That in every way, Jesus has pursue, pursued humanity to the fullest. right? And so it's to say this. There is nothing that you or I have done that would stop Jesus from pursuing us. Right? I think we would all agree with that. In every way, in our relationship with the Lord, it's actually his pursuit of us that's allowed us to follow him. Amen? You guys with me in that? Okay. So even if you think about the parable of the lost sheep, you know, the shepherd had 99 sheep, and he went after the one. 
Danny Silk would say this, that there is nothing you or I can do to turn Jesus' love off, right? So as we think about our own relationships, there's nothing that another person can do that should turn our love off, all right? And so I'm, I'm going to give you an example that is kind of funny. My one-year-old at home, Braylon, uh, many of you have seen him running around here, has started doing this really fun thing where he's opening drawers. And, you know, it's great because he takes stuff out that he shouldn't and runs around the house with it. And by the time, you know, the end of the day comes, there's stuff everywhere. And so we've started to be pretty strict with him, like, hey, don't open that drawer. If, you, if he does, sometimes he might get a slap on the hand. If he's still not listening, he'll get a timeout. And he's about to graduate to spankings, honestly. You know, just you, you can know where my house stands. We will, we will be spanking. And so he's, he's, he's on the edge. Uh, so anyways, it's funny because Braylon make, can make it very tempting for me not to want to choose him, you know. And this is, so this is what he started to do. He's, he opens these drawers slowly, and Kendall and I will say, Braylon, stop. And so he sees us, and in as fast as he can, this is not a joke, he grabs whatever he can and runs, okay? <laughs> and I cannot tell you how much that bothers me as a dad. <laughs> And so I, we have to chase him down, grab the item, put it back, and then we go take him to a timeout. And so in that moment, I have a choice. Am I going to choose my son or not? Right? Am I going to let my emotions take over? Am I going to lash out at him? Am I going to give him the silent treatment? How am I going to respond? And it's like, okay, you know what? Hey, Braylon, you're, he, I, I know he understands me a little bit. I don't know how much, but I tell him, hey, you're getting a timeout because you didn't listen, because you ran, and because you opened the door that you weren't supposed to open. We're going to put you in timeout, and I'll see you when, when we're done. Right? And then in that time that he's gone, it's like, what am I thinking about? Am I thinking, man, I can't believe he did that. What a jerk. You know, I, I mean, he's one, right? So it's hard, it's hard to really, like, I know that, he, I know that he, he only knows so much. But it's like, no, I'm going to go back in there. I'm going to ask if he's ready to come out. I'm going to pick him up, tell him that I love him, and then we're going to go do it again, I'm sure. You know? <laughs> and so it's hard to imagine because it's a one-year-old. But I want you to now think about other relationships in your life that maybe aren't as simple, Right? Even, even when grown adults do things that might cause us to not want to choose them, you know, it's like, hey, in that moment, how are we reacting? Are we choosing that person or are we letting other things overcome and cause us to be con- controlled in a sense? Like, hey, because you did that, I, I, I had to act in this way. It's like, well, no, you know, you know there, obviously there are circumstances and situations that might cause for, for our have cause for a different reaction, but really it's, it's our job to respond in a way that is choosing to love somebody, right? And so it's, the, main, the idea I'm trying to get across here is there, there, there is nothing another person can do that should cause me to act out in a way of something that's not love, right? Like that is not at all what, what we see Jesus model. You know, in every way, he could have, he could have stopped pursuing us, but he, he, chose, he chose us to the cross, you know, like he chose us to, to, to beaten down, could barely walk, hung on a cross until he was dead. And, and I don't know about you, but I've done some things that are not worth being chosen for. In my own life, I've done some things that are pretty ugly, but yet Jesus chose me. And so in a similar way, man, it's my, it's my job to choose the people in my life. You guys with me on that? Yeah. All right. <laughs> the second area that we want to be powerful in is our decision making. Our decision making. So this is what Paul says uh, to the Corinthian church in his, in his second letter to them. He says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and to have you send me on my way to Judea. So he's uh, on a missionary trip. 
he's saying, hey, before and after I go to Macedonia, I would have loved to see you, and then you guys send me to the next place. But then he says this in verse 17. Was I vacillating or going back and forth? Was I going back and forth when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes and no at the same time? It's interesting. Do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes and no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no. But in him, it is always yes. Okay, so that's out of 2 Corinthians, right? And um, the language can be maybe a little confusing, but Danny Silk says it like this. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so an example I would like to give is not necessarily an example. You maybe not believe me on this, but, uh, you know, uh, it, just the mother-in-law trope, right? Like, hey, we all, we all know the relationship of a mother-in-law, uh, the, at least the trope of it. You know, I have a great mother-in-law. I, I love my mother-in-law, I promise. But, you know, it, think about it like this. If your mother-in-law is inviting you to do something, you might be pretty hesitant to make a yes or no decision, right? Maybe she, she's gracious and she gives you a month ahead of time to make a decision. And in the moment you say, I'm not really sure, can I get back to you, okay? Because maybe you have other things that might come up. You might have, uh, maybe somebody will invite you to do something that day. You know, you love your mother-in-law, but you really don't want to hang out with her. Uh, you know, whatever it is, right, it's causing, causing you to not give a decision. But then the day comes, you, you're not really sure what you're going to do. You don't want to back out. But then maybe in the last minute, something comes up, and you're able to give, give that reason, hey, I can't, I can't do the thing you asked me to do today, so sorry, this, this thing came up. Um, and really that is not letting your yes be yes or your no be a no, it's letting your circumstances dictate how you will respond. Right? And really in a sense, it is, it is like a, it's almost like a victimless way to live or a victim-minded way to live because you're saying, hey, I don't wanna be powerful and make a decision, so I'm just gonna let these other outside things dictate my schedule. I'm gonna, even though my mother-in-law was direct and asked me to do this thing, when I could have said yes or no, I, I just pitter-pattered around, didn't make a decision, and, and ultimately just decided, hey, I'm not, I'm not gonna decide until I have to. Um, and, you know, this is like an interesting idea because it's, it's very common for people to live this way, right? Like, hey, you don't really know what your week is gonna look like, you don't know what your schedule is gonna look like, there's many things in our lives that we have to juggle and figure out, but I think many times it causes us to live powerlessly, you know? Like, hey, I, instead, of, instead of being in control of my decisions and in my life, I'm, I'm not gonna do that. I'm going, to, I'm going to just let other things decide how my schedule will turn out. Right? I'm going to let my emotions decide how my schedule will turn out. I'm going to let, you know, whatever, you know, that, hey, I, I don't really, I've never really hung out with my mother-in-law, so that's going to be the thing that helps me decide. It's like, no, like, it's similar to this idea of, in our relationships. Like, hey, what am I going to choose? Am I going to choose yes or no? It's funny, in, in the scriptures, in that Second Corinthian scripture, Paul, like, the scene is kind of like you can tell maybe that the Corinthian church was expecting Paul like to come, but they got the letter instead. And so he's saying like, hey, it's, he's like, I, I wanted to be there, but for this reason, I couldn't come, right? And he's just very direct, like, hey, and so instead, you, you, this is what you're getting. And it's, it's not to say that you can't be stern or that you can't make a, a, direct, a direct decision, but it's to say like, it's just interesting in Paul's decision making, he's like, hey, 
It's not like I was thinking, oh, I might come to, Mas- I might come to Corinthia- Corinth, I might not, I might come, I might not. He just says, hey, I wanted to come, but I couldn't be there. Um, and so, you know, not the most inspiring point, but one that's still, I think, really important, that we would be powerful in our decision-making. Um, so, yeah, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. And then the third area that I want to talk about today to be powerful in is how we deal with conflict. And, you know, this is maybe the least fun for all of you, and that's okay. Uh, but it's going to be really important. And this is what the Bible says in Matthew 5, 23. If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Okay, so there's two things about this scripture that I think are really important for us in how we deal with conflict. It says that if you remember... Your brother has something against you. Okay, it doesn't say if it was your fault or your brother's fault. It just says if there was something against you. Meaning if there's conflict, then that would be something against you. The second thing it says, first, be reconciled to your brother. So in other words, and even other translations, it says immediately go and make things right with your brother. So... That being said, I have this great graphic that we can look at. It's called the irresponsibility cycle. Uh, I also know it as triangulation. That's probably what I'll refer to it as. Uh, but this is, once again, this is not my graphic. I didn't make this. I uh, got this from uh, the DTR curriculum. But what can happen in conflict is when, when I'm offended because Jonathan inevitably says something that I don't like, instead of telling him about that immediately, I maybe will go and tell my friend Faxon. And I'll say, hey, Faxon, man, I was with Jonathan the other day, and you won't believe what he said to me. You, man, it made me so mad. It hurt my feelings so much. Can you believe he said that? And then Faxon, trying to be a good friend, is like, man, Brendan, I'm so sorry about that. Like, yeah, that is weird that Jonathan said that. I can't believe that. And all of a sudden, we have this thing fill out where I'm the victim, Faxon's the good guy, and then your, your pastor, Jonathan, is a bad guy. <laughs> I, Obviously, that's not the case. But, you know, in this situation, that's the case. Jonathan's a bad guy. So, you know, when uh, triangulation happens when someone is offended or hurt, and instead of making things right with that person, they go and tell someone else, hoping to find affirmation in their pain or a soft place to land. And when they find that soft place to land, the offender becomes a bad guy. Okay? So because the victim doesn't say anything to the perceived bad guy in the moment or even after the fact, many times the bad guy doesn't even know that they've done something wrong, right? So imagine that. You have this pent-up aggression or frustration or bitterness towards someone, and they don't even know it, okay? And so then what can also happen to our friend, the good guy, is they start faxing. My friend, he's he's thinking about what, what Jonathan said to me, and then Jonathan says something kind of funny to him, and so instead of letting it brush off his shoulder, he remembers what, what I told him. He's like, man, maybe Jonathan is a bad guy. And these, sows, these seeds of distrust start to form. And it's like, hey, no, the Bible says this. If, if there's something between you and your brother, immediately go. Like, go and be reconciled to them. You know, even in, in my own life, I, I had to come to a, 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 a head with this idea a couple years ago. Uh, some friends of mine, uh, actually multiple friends of mine, had, uh, had some just weird run-ins. Uh, weird is the wrong word. Just some encounters with somebody that left them feeling, you know, hurt. 
and they told me about him, and this was a trusted person in my life, and although I really hadn't interacted with him all that much, I, I had great trust for him, and I started to really like lose trust in this person, and just as I was around them more, it made it very hard for me to like see the good in them, and so I, I actually ended up approaching the bad guy myself and saying, hey, I heard these things, and you know, so I'm the good guy in this situation. My friends are the victim, and this guy's the bad guy. Uh, and you know, I think there was a little attempt to try and resolve it, but at that point, not very much. And so I just said, hey, I, I want to make, I want to try and get on a better understanding because I heard these things about these conversations with my friends. <clears throat> and so he, he actually heard me out. You know, we talked about it. He gave me his side of the story, and it was helpful. But then he came back about a week later, and he was like, hey, man, I was thinking about it. And I thought it was really interesting that you, like, got involved in that. Why didn't you just tell those people to come talk to me? Like, why, why wouldn't you have just pointed them in my direction? And he gave me this scripture. I wish I would have written it out today. I didn't. But I think it's in Proverbs 19. And it basically says, hey, there are, like, six things the Lord hates. And one of them is, like, sowing seeds of discord. And essentially what was happening is, like, by allowing myself to be the good guy, my friends to be the victims, all of a sudden there was lots of mistrust floating around. And it was hurting our culture. And it was true. And, you know, I thought about that and prayed about it. And really, I was, like, convicted to the heart. Like, man, I, I am sowing discord. I am sowing distrust. Like, this is a problem. And so I went and talked to my friends. And they did eventually, like, go and, and talk to the person. But it was just interesting how, like, I assumed this role of being a good guy, thinking I was helping the situation. But I, I was not at all helping the situation. Uh, and so there are two ways, really, you can come out of this. One, as the good guy, if someone comes to you and they're hurt, hopefully they would say something like, hey, I, I was in, in a situation that's happened. Will you let me know if I'm missing something here? Maybe they're coming for perspective, true perspective, and they want to know. And that, that would be excellent. And you could, you could hear them out, give perspective, and say, hey, go, make sure you go and talk to that person like you said you would. But if they don't do that, after you've heard your friend and it sounds like they're hurt, you could say, hey, are you planning to go and talk to that person? And if they say no, you should, you should encourage them. Hey, I think you should go make things right. And you can give them this scripture out of Matthew 5, 23. It says immediately go and make things right between your brother. Uh, now, if they come back and it doesn't seem like they've done that, then a question would be this. Hey, do you want to tell that person or should I? Do you want to tell that person or should I? And I don't think they would want you to. But... And your, your role here isn't to be a rescuer, to rescue someone out of the situation, but it's to make them powerful and to, and to point both parties to reconciliation, right? So even in a situation, you know, I, I've actually never heard of this. Most people go and talk to the person when that question is presented. But your goal shouldn't be to have malice or be a rescuer in either, in either case, but it really should just say, hey, I've heard this thing is going on between this, this person or he, this, she feels this way towards you. I think you guys should get together and work it out, right? Like that should be the heart to, for both parties to be reconciled to one another. You guys hear me on that? And so, you know, as I'm coming to a close, I know the worship team's got a song for us. I, I want to invite them um, back up here just, just as, I'm, as I'm doing this. Um, but, you know, just thinking about these three areas, being, being a powerful person, you know, in our relationships and our decision-making and conflict. Um, remember, our, our scripture was, hey, God has not made us with a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And, and the goal isn't just that we would live our lives kind of like as independent little people running around, and then we get to call ourselves a church on Sunday. 
but really that we would be like a, a church that Monday through Saturday are living powerful lives. You know, that powerfulness doesn't just come from a great time of worship. It doesn't just come from a great word, but it comes from like the individual honoring God and everything that they are saying, hey, because you made me powerful, God, I will be powerful. And I think in that, you know, just thinking back to like Jesus coming back for his bride, like that, that is really how the mission of the Great Commission gets, gets started is like people taking initiative in their lives to say, man, I'm going to choose the people in my life. I'm not going to let decisions just come my way and let life happen to me, but I'm going to be directional and purposeful in the way I live. And and then in my conflicts, man, I'm going to seek to be reconciled to the people. You know, it says in 2 Corinthians that because God offers the ministry of reconciliation, we too have that ministry, that we should be helping the world be reconciled to God because of the way he reconciled himself to us. And so I'm just going to pray that that would be the case. Uh, And then we're going to go out in a song of worship. So, Father, we just thank you for this time to gather, to be together. Lord, we pray that you would come into our hearts today, that we would live powerfully, that we would live knowing that we are are very much able to, to have power over our lives, that we're not victims, that we're not powerless. God, I pray that each person here would see the area that you're asking them to be powerful, or the person that you're asking them to be powerful towards, or the conflict that they might have. Father, we, we need you in this, God. We, we need you, Jesus. We, we ask that you um, would come, and Holy Spirit, that you would give us all boldness. This isn't something that we can do uh, just on our own strength. It's not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps type of thing but it really starts internally with a work of transformation that only you can bring. So, Lord, we just acknowledge that, that we need you in this. God, we thank you that you've made us to be powerful, that it's, that it's in your image that we're made, not our own image, not some other image, but your image. And, God, we just pray that we would be those kind of people. Amen. You know, hey, real quick, I just want to say this. Hey, there's two ways you can really live this out this week. One way is that you would be um, willing to ask God to make you a powerful person every day. If you do that, I think, I think this is really possible. The second way that I think is really important is ask somebody who's in the room with you to hold you accountable when you're being powerless. You know, it's, it's pretty easy. I have, a, I have a good friend. I won't, I won't say his name, but he went, we went through this material together, and, and uh, he pretty, pretty quickly right after started being very powerless. And, you know, but received it when I was like, hey, man, that sounds like you're being powerless. And he was like, you're right, you're right, and changes tune. And so, uh, man, I think if you were willing to ask someone to do that, it's pretty, it's pretty quick turnaround to, to, to start a- executing this idea. So, all right.